This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. Today's guest is Chris Lidley. He's a life coach for business leaders who are looking to adopt healthier lifestyles and make a bigger impact at home and at work. Chris is a biotechnology executive and motivational speaker on leadership, health, and wellness. He is on a mission to help motivate and show others how to become the best version of themselves. Over the past 10 years of training and competing in Ironman, Chris has helped coach many friends and business colleagues to overcome roadblocks, to reach the start line, and ultimately reach the finish. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. No, this is pretty exciting because, you know, talk about being right in the mix of it, right? Being a biotechnology executive, trying to keep, you know, help people stay healthy and aware and keep mental health going like we were talking earlier, getting outside. Um, but tell us a little bit about who Chris is, how you ended up doing what you're doing, and we'll get rolling from there. Sure, Ken. Yeah. I mean, my journey, interestingly, um, and I think this is similar to many others in life, is that uh, life just sort of caught up with me. I, I uh, at age 40, was really my, is when my transformation began. I, I realized, um, you know, I, I wasn't exercising enough. I was putting in long commutes into New York City every day, hour and a half each way. Was really cutting into my exercise. I was gaining weight, not feeling really great. And then, then um, you know, uh, we ended up moving to Tampa, Florida. And I would say that was sort of an inflection point that really helped drive um, my transformations and lifestyle changes together with my wife, Anita, and family. So I, um, you know, I just really sort of started committing to, you know, started doing uh, some half marathons and uh, starting to shed weight and feeling much better. I got bit by, you know, by the uh, endurance sports bug, if you will, in, in Ironman uh, being in Tampa. So started to enter my, you know, entered my first sprint triathlon and then was really hooked from there. And for me, it was never like a, like a bucket list type thing where I, I just, you know, had to do Ironman and then be done with it. I, my, my entire family really just committed to the lifestyle. And I think what happened over the years, Ken, is that um, trying to balance family and work, I realized that you know, as people learned about my, uh, my racing and, and training, they became very curious and wanted to learn more and more about how did I do it? How did I fit in? How did I make the time to do all of it? And so that's really what sort of, that's re- really where I started to began to start, you know, launching my own blog and my own sort of launching my own sort of, you know, just trying to help people become the best versions of themselves and just be on this quest to help people with their health and wellness because, um, you know, if I can travel 150,000 miles a year around the world for, for my biotech work, um, you know, I, w- I was always able to find time to train. And so those, I wanted to share those tips and tricks and hacks uh, to others in my, in my network. And talk to us a bit about that realization, right? A lot of people sort of get there. They start thinking about it, but they never pull the trigger. What made you pull the trigger? You know, I, it was really a confluence of things, Ken. I mean, I think, um, like, like I said, to me, a, a big thing, sometimes in life, there's just these aha moments. I think the move to Tampa 
And then, um, you know, having a job where I was working out of a home office and I'm in Tampa and it's sunny and the weather's nice year round. It was sort of the right environment for me to begin to commit to regular training. And, you know, and that didn't consist of really a large volume of training at the beginning. It was just daily consistency. Um, and that's one of the things I realize most people lack is just that consistency of sticking with it, the stick with itness, you know, to get up every morning. Uh, many of the excuses or reasons I hear people not committing to a routine is, you know, oh, I can't, I'm not a morning person. I can't get up. So to me, a lot of this is, you know, we have time during the day and it's just making that commitment. And so, you know, moving to Tampa, having nice weather outdoors all the time um, really helped me, you know, get out and run and bike and swim. And one thing kind of led to another. No, and that's exciting. And, and I love what you said there about the time thing, right? It's, you know, the morning thing. A lot of people think that they, if they don't do it in the morning or say they're going to do it in the morning, then they just give up. And I think there's opportunities throughout the day to have an hour. And especially now with people working from home, if you have your running shoes or you've got a bike and you can just jump out and go for an hour and you don't even need to go for an hour, do burpees for five minutes or 10 minutes, right? And you'll start feeling better and you'll get your blood flowing. And I think that's such a key that people are, you know, they think that they have to go out and train for two or three hours to get an effective workout and you don't. It's here, go do it five, 10 minutes, but do it two or three times a day or even just one time a day. No one's ever said that they wish they didn't work out. No, that, that's exactly right. And I think what ultimately happens during the transformation is that um, you're exactly right. I think what happens is the first couple of weeks um, when you're going from sort of sedentary to more consistent training, I don't know that it really feels good right away, Ken. I think that's part of the problem why there's such a drop off. I think now it's just the reverse for me. If I go more than a few days, I start to feel terrible and I have to keep moving. And I ascribe to a lot of the ancestral types of training where, you know, you, you sort of start your journey at one time, you know, one workout a day, and now I'm moving into two or three mini workouts spread throughout the day. Um, so that might mean a short run in the morning, a bike in the afternoon or evening, and then a 20 minute lifting session. So I try to lift, you know, several times a week with heavy with kettlebells, but never blowing myself up. So that allows me to stay injury free. It allows me to have consistency and just build up strength and build volume throughout the week. So I think you kind of evolve from sort of, you know, these morning workouts for, for most people, right? Because that's when they, if they don't get it done, then they may not get it done, right? With all the <laughs> challenges with family and, and so forth, you know, when the kids get up and when, when the emails start coming in for work, right? No, it's true, right? And that makes a huge difference. And, and it's easy to get overwhelmed. Talk a bit about, you know, sort of your evolution. You said that a lot of people are, you know, you're traveling 150 miles a year. You're a chief biotechnology executive. You're running a company. Talk to us a bit about that, you know, the training piece and training on the road and getting it all in. Yeah, Ken, you know what I used, I used to tell people because that's another um, often reason why people say, well, I, I, can't, I can't train because I'm traveling all the time. And um, I turn that entirely upside down on, on that argument on its head because I often find that um, when I can get away from the home environment and, and sort of the office walls, so, you know, I mean, we're, many of us are working virtually these days, but I mean, once you can get away from the office and you're on the road, I've always found that uh, with a couple of 
being a little bit prepared in advance, you actually, there's even more time to train when you're away. For example, I mean, I'm traveling, the travel to Europe, you get there and, uh, you know, you generally, you get there early morning. And what happens is I almost always, as soon as I get off the plane, go for a run. And, you know, and that immediately opens up my mind. It's usually light outside. It's so the endorphins are going. And um, I'm all, it's also a great way to get to know the new city that you're in, that you're visiting. So I run. And then I also, you know, the one thing that's hard to do is biking, but I usually just train, you know, um, schedule running or swimming training blocks when I'm traveling for a long period of time overseas. And um, there's also, um, you know, resources to identify pools to swim in around the world. So I've, I've swum, you know, in Japan and Singapore and all the major cities of Europe. Um, um, if you go to swimmersguide.com, for example, you can sort on any country in the world, any city and find um, public and even private um, swimming facilities. So there was almost always time at some point of the day, you know, with jet lag, early in the evening, early in the morning, you know, uh, depending on your schedule to get a swim or a run in. That's one of the ways uh, I would do that is, you know, when I'm traveling globally is to, um, you know, have that consistency of training with the run and swim at least. No, and, and I love what you said there, right? Also, a little bit earlier, you can get to know the city and you can get to know where you are and your surroundings. And that all of a sudden opens up a whole new world for you know, for yourself or for say, Hey, you're going to go out to dinner and be like, Hey, let's try this or try that because you're off the beaten path. So you're sort of killing two birds with one stone. Yeah, it's really, I mean, I just find I, I'm so mentally refreshed. Um, and then, you know, then you get to bed that next night, you know, that first night when you're traveling and I'm, I'm able to really catch up on a lot of that sleep, have a good, good evening of sleep. We know how important sleep is to recovery and being productive. Right. And, um, so I, I, don't, um, I don't underestimate the importance of sleep. I never uh, sort of cut sleep short to get another workout in. But um, I've just learned that, you know, the worst thing you can do when you travel globally and have jet lag is to you know, sit down on the couch and flip the TV on or get behind your computer. That's, that's kind of, uh, that really gets the melatonin going and makes you want to go to sleep. So I, I feel the key is really just to get moving immediately when you get off the plane. And um, yeah, that's it usually gets me caught up pretty quickly. No, it definitely does. It definitely does. So how did you, you know, so you started motivating others. How did they start realizing what you were doing and how did you move into the coaching business and, and helping people? Sure. I, um, I, yeah, kind of, that was, again, it's part of the journey and transformation. And I'm, I'm, I'm you, my friends will tell you I'm a pretty private person. I always like, you know, I'm always downplaying, you know, my, um, my Ironman and endurance um, athletic feats and, you know, training schedules and so forth. I really, you know, I'm not the type to post all my great training sessions on social media. You know, I'm really private, but what happened, you know, what happened is like when I was living in New Jersey, uh, I would, I would bike 35 miles each way to work and um, not every day, but um, you know, in the summertime you get light out at five, five thirty in the morning in New Jersey, you can get a great session. in. so this is again, a tip, how do you get your long, you know, we all struggle with how do you get those long bike sessions in, right? When you're iron, you know, competing and training for Ironman. And that's the hardest session, you know, run and swims, you can fit in pretty easily. But so I would build it into my commute and I would show up. Um, I was working at Bayer at the time and it's a massive complex, you know, of office buildings. And, you know, I would pull into this guarded, you know, um, you know, facility on my bike. <laughs> Everyone else is coming in in their cars. So they would see this crazy guy, 
biking because it's just not the culture like it is in Boulder to, to bike places. Um, um, certainly not commuting to work. And uh, this New Jersey has such beautiful countryside and boy, it really would wake me up. I would, you know, cruise up, um, you know, through Morristown into Whippany from, from uh, Flemington, New Jersey and central New Jersey. And pe pe this is how it started because people would start to see me and they would, then it certainly became the topic of like every business meeting. People would just bring it up. They'd be like, "Did you hear Chris bikes to work?" <laughs> and so it, it became like some anomaly. Like I'm some guy, a freak, you know, because I look at this guy biking to work, and it, it really. So so as much as I tried to you know hide it, if you will, um, it it became a topic of conversation, and then it always shifted to Chris. How do you do it? What do you do? What do you eat? How do you train? So that's can really the transformation. That's how it really evolved because it is out of people's innate interest to sort of hack into people who who had this extreme lifestyle and figure it out and you know and I, I know that you know so so to, you know your question was so you know how, how did I start coaching and helping others so part of it was just you know people you know I was giving all this sort of advice in the office and then I was like well let me I, I went and became a USA triathlon triathlon certified coach and spent a couple of days in Florida um, at the coaching clinic and then, you know, just to formalize my, my knowledge and my skill set, And, um, and uh, then I started, you know, taking in some folks and, and helping train them and, and get them ready um, to compete in endurance sports. No. And that's what's fun, right? Is you can turn your love of what you're doing and they think you're a freak until they start joining you and they're like, no, I want to be that person. Right. And that's a great role model is sort of leading by example. Yeah. And even, even, um, it's interesting. It, it's, it affected, you know, it's all ages too. Like my, um, you know, I had a, a teenage uh, children at the time and, um, their friends even would be like, Hey, can Mr. Lively, you know, help me? I want to learn to run faster or I want to, you know, you know, what are tips for buying bikes, you know, or I love, how do I get involved, get into swimming, you know, to, to, to things like, you know, can you just, you know, help me, you know, set up a training block, you know, and, and set up like a mesocycle with a couple, you know, help me put together a plan. So, so even, even with um, even my kids, friends, you know, all the way through business associates, you know, I know that, again, like you said, role modeling the behavior, um, you know, seeing, seeing me get up in the morning, get out and put in three hours on the bike and get home. And then in the afternoon, do a lifting session. It just, it, it motivates my kids. Um, you know, their friends see it, colleagues at work see it. And um, it's interesting. People love talking about it, Ken. No, I know. It's, it's awesome, right? Because it's, and again, it's sort of something that differentiates you two internally. I loved what you're saying there about the work thing, right? It always comes up if you're at a meeting or that you're doing this and you're doing that. And, you know, to the listeners out there, being healthy and doing some of this stuff is actually a differentiating factor that helps you become successful in your, in your work life as well. Yeah, there was a Harvard Business School um, article years ago about the making of a corporate athlete. Ken, if you go Google that, you can find that it's, um, you know, I, I keep that article around, even though it's quite aged, but I mean, this, this concept of like, you know, being fit, um, you know, makes you, a, a, you know, a better husband, father and employee, you know, I, 
you know, for all those people out there who think that, man, if you're, if you're training for Ironman, you must not be really committed to work or other parts of your life or how, you know, you can't balance all these things. I would, I would vehemently disagree. Um, I would say without this, um, I would say it's because of this that I'm a, um, and you know, a very productive employee and, um, and that I can give my all to work and family. And so, uh, yeah, I think, um, you, you got to sort of train the entire body. You know, we go to, it's the training, it's the sleep, it's the nutrition, you know, it's the meditation, all of these components coming together and incorporating it in your, in your daily life in a consistent way that really grounds you and, um, and makes you, you know, the best version of yourself. So talk to us a bit about that. Talk to us about your nutrition, right? And talk to us a bit about sort of your, what you do day to day um, from a business perspective, a training perspective, and sort of, you know, how, how you keep up with it. Yeah. You know, look, Ken, there's a lot of fads out there now. Like, uh, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, think that the keto diet's the way to go. You know, we've all, everyone's tried various different, you know, the Mediterranean, different types of diets. Um, you know, I've, I've been experimenting with various forms of intermittent fasting, but you know, the, the problem for triathletes and what the really the big watch out um, for anyone who's training um, intensely throughout the year um, is that you can't just take these diets off the shelf and just say, that's what I'm going to do because you have to adapt it to your caloric needs and macronutrients because you, for example, it wouldn't make sense. Intermittent fasting, you know, in the extreme form is like you don't have anything to eat till, you know, you basically are consuming all your calories in like a six hour window. And now how does that work if I'm putting in a three hour bike ride in the morning? You know, you're not, you're not going to starve your body, right? So I've learned to adapt. I, I like the aspects of intermittent fasting because of the way it makes me feel, especially in the winter time when our training volume, right, is, is less. Um, I like the, um, I like waking up, drinking black coffee, maybe some bone broth, and then and then you know water, and then um, if I'm really feeling I need something a little fuller, I, I I really I make my own green smoothies with very little carb, very little fruit, just enough for a little bit of sweetness to take some of the bitterness away from the greens, and I really just kind of use that. I may throw in a few soft boiled eggs, um, you know, to get my protein. And, and until dinner time, that's what will fuel me on most days. And then I'll have a big dinner, filling dinner. Um, again, you know, mostly lean protein and vegetable um, with the occasional potato if I had a long training session or if I planned to do an evening training session, Ken. That's, that's kind of how the day-to-day -day goes. Um, you know, just really a lot of time in the kitchen, um, you know, having to make smoothies regularly, you know, it's, I mean, it's a bit of work, a lot of chopping of vegetables and things, but you know, we, we sort of subscribe to the whole foods philosophy, eat as little unprocessed food as possible. The intermittent fasting thing I think is, I think is good, but I, I mean, just with the caveat that athletes really need to be careful how they deploy that in their, you know, within their training schedule, right? Because you can, you can, starving your body isn't good either. No, it isn't. Right. And I think that's, it's finding the fine line. Like you said, there's so many different sort of fads out there of what they say, you know, this, uh, you know, you should do this or you should do that. And to be honest with you, everybody is so different too. Right. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, I know I've tried sort of the, the low carb thing and I try to train and it's just miserable and it's, 
you know, but there's different things that work really well. So it's really, don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to see what may or may not work because none of us are going pro tomorrow anyways. (laughs) Actually, you know, they can all make a difference. But Ken, I think, I think um, you're exactly right. I do think you you hear that a lot that, Oh, you know, everyone's different. But at the same time, I think the the bio the biophysics of metabolism is, is similar in all of us. I think that it's, it's um, some, there's some sort of universal truths, but then what's more important to me and hopefully to your listeners is how you feel. I feel, I think that if, if, if you were, you know, if you follow some of these rules, these guidelines, and it's, you're feeling good, your, your weight goals or your body composition goals that we as endurance athletes really, we, you know, we're always very, you know, we're, we're, we're checking ourselves out and making sure, look, you know, cause it, cause we're seeing positive transformation in our bodies and you'll cont- So focus on the process and not the goal because you're, you know, if you follow the sort of nutrition guidelines, um, you know, these, some of these guidelines, you'll, you'll, you'll see those goals over time. You'll see the body composition changes that, that you want. I think one of the mistakes I made early in my training is that I really subscribed to this marketing science of just carb, 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 carb loading. Um, like, you know, you're, so I would go out on runs and I would be like putting goo in my mouth and drinking water and, you know, and then, you know, all kinds of like uh, carbohydrate drinks. And, um, I realize now that I do very little of that. I buy very little um, supplements. I don't really supplement with any vitamins. I don't supplement often with any, um, you know, I just take water on the bike for all rides less than two hours, Ken. I take water and I'll take maybe, you know, I will take a few uh, packets of goo or some gel, you know, some some bites, maybe a honey stinger waffle or something. And then, uh, you know, because again, I think, you know, you don't want to bonk on the bike. But I mean, I think my point is, when I first started out with training, I w- every 20 minutes, I was putting carb in my mouth, uh, whether through f- blocks, chews or goo. And um, I've really cut back on that, because I, I think I was over carving myself. And um, different when you're racing, right? Different when you're doing a full Ironman, um, not saying to restrict yourself again, but I think with the day to day training, you know, under two hours, I'm finding I can I can go on a long run even. I can do a 90-minute run and just really carry water. And I love those fasted runs. I love how I feel afterwards. No, I'm sort of the same way. I never bring food on my bike ride unless I have to, I don't know, pull over somewhere and grab something. But for the <laughs> most part, I never bring it either, right? It's just one of those things. And I think I, I, I train with a guy who's a little bit older than me and he sort of grew up in the eighties training of, you know, the Eddie B uh, um, sort of, you know, Eastern block training mindset where you get like one bottle of water for like a hundred mile <laughs> ride and you don't eat. Right. And it's right. like, Oh my, you know, and it's, but it's unbelievable sort of like the hard man piece comes into it, but he's a total rock star. And I think, a lot of people, like you said, it's a, the marketing piece of you, net, you need to be eating every 20 minutes or this or that. It's like, I can't even think about eating every 20 minutes. I'd get tired thinking about it, never mind actually doing it. It's exhausting and exhausting. And I, I don't want your listeners to misinterpret either and say, you know, because it's, it goes against some of I mean, I mean, many, many of the sports science um, companies who market these products, you know, they do, they do say for workouts less than 90 minutes, you know, you don't you know, really don't need to be taking on a lot of carb or protein. But um, 
you know, I find, I'm just saying that in my own experience, I found that I really fell into that trap of constantly having water bottles loaded up with calories, electrolytes, sugar. And um, now, you know, I, I realize that when I'm on longer rides, more than two hours, three hours, you know, long, long afternoon up in the mountains, you know, I don't misunderstand me. I, I take plenty of calories with me, especially at altitude. You'll dry out and you'll bonk very quickly on all those climbs. Um, if, so I do take nutrition with me. It really depends on the ride and what the goal of the ride is, how long it is and so forth. But it was one of the lessons I learned. Like I, I could, for most of my training, you know, I don't need all that. I can do just fine with water. And that's, I think that's an important lesson for everyone because that helps, you know, you're not, we, you know, we want to cut out carb where we can without impacting how we feel and how we perform. No. And like, and it sort of goes back to, you know, I loved what you said there. It sort of just goes back to um, how you feel. And a lot of people, you know, in today's world, you know, everyone's like, Oh, I need, you know, I've got to have my power meter. I've got to have my whoop or any of this stuff. And they forget about the whole feeling piece. And that's such an important piece is understanding just what your body can and can't do regardless of what your power meter or your computer or your phone is saying. I think, that's another piece of it that's, you know, becoming less and less, but it's actually becoming more and more important is here. Feel, let's feel how we actually are going to do and how your Ken, body's going to do. That's so important. So important because I think we, I want to mention that too, because I think, you know, when you're first starting out, you get your manual from Joe Friel, you know, the, the, guy, the triathletes guide, you know, that, that, you know, all these coaches put out there. You know, they, they have these training plans and people follow the training plans. I got to put in two hours. I got to go at this pop, this power and intensity. And then, you know, I got to lift. And so what happens is people forget the true, how important it is to read your body. I think I should point out, um, I have no problem missing training sessions if I'm not feeling it. Um, if, I'm, if I'm not feeling 100%, um, I, you know, over the past 12 years um, since I sort of really committed to the lifestyle, I should say that for the, for the most part, I've been injury free, um, which is amazing because as athletes, we're always um, fighting some kind of nagging pain or injury, especially as we, as we grow older. Um, but I, I would say my, my resiliency around this uh, issue of, of not really having, you know, a, you know, a, a knee or a, so as or something, you know, I have muscles that get sore and so forth. But I mean, what, what I do is I, I may I back off. And especially at my age now, I know that if I need to take another recovery day, I will. Um, you know, and so I don't I don't push it. And I'll, I'll look at the training plan. And you know, if I had to cut a workout short, I do if I start to fe not feel well. Um, and that that has helped me with longevity in the sport. It helps helps me not miss workouts. Because Ken, I can tell you, if I did get injured and I would have to take four, six or eight weeks off, I, I would be miserable to be around. So I, I think for the benefit of my family, I've been trying to really balance that and um, make sure that I could always, you know, be consistently training as a lifestyle and not injure myself. And that resiliency is so important. Better to miss a workout, um, you know, read your body, as you said, you know, we can look at the power meters, the heart rate, you know, look at your sleep. How do you feel that morning? You know, and, um, that's I've, I've sort of known when I need to, when I need to stop and take another rest day. 
No, and that's so important, right? It's just is is realizing that, and I think that's a step, sort of, you know. And I want to say, so the maturity of sport is what happens is you start learning that, and you start going down that road, and it's like, huh, uh, you know, you can go for, you think you're going to go out for a five hour session, and you go ten minutes in, and your legs don't even work, uh, you know, turn around and go home, <laughs> go rest, and <laughs> and go do it tomorrow, right, or something like that, and it's and it's so hard to do because. You, you, you get your Joe Friel plan or you get this plan. And it's like, ah, it's, it's Sunday. I got to go for five hours. And sometimes you don't, right? Sometimes the best thing you do is, you know, go grab a, chip, a bag of chips, sit on the couch and take a nap. And that actually could be better training than not. You're talking about people. And by that, I mean like endurance athletes. I mean, and we've all done this, Ken. I'm, you know, I've, I've been guilty of this too, where if my workout says a two hour bike ride and I come home, and it's only says an hour 50 on my watch, I'll circle around the neighborhood for another 10 minutes to hit the two hours. You know, like you, you, we're so scripted with our workouts and putting in those hours, the volume that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do, you know, athletes will do like that, do things like that so that their Garmin shows that they put in a two hour ride, you know, or, or if they, if you come home and you're at 29.5 miles, you're like, damn, no, I'm going to, I got to flip 30 on my Garmin and you'll find another half mile to put in just so it, you know, so, I mean, we've all been guilty of that, you know, but some, so it's difficult to, to know sometimes where, you know, look, I, I'm not feeling right today. I don't need to hit two hours. I'm just going to go out for an hour today or maybe not at all. Right. No, it's so important. It's so important out there. Talk to us a bit about, you know, leadership right and being a leader and and sort of instilling this in your team do you instill try to instill health and fitness to your team how does that work or what are your thoughts on that yeah yeah so like so i know that in in uh you know in every role that i've had i've um i've tried to um role model this not only just in terms of how i get to and from work for example but even in you know when when we have business outings right i think um you know, for, for example, a lot of times we have sales meetings and we're gone for a whole week. And I know that um, depending, you know, we're always usually in these nice places that are warm and, and so forth. And so you can't be an employer and, and a manager or leader at a company and, um, you know, say that health is important, but then start the day with, you know, 7.30 a.m. meetings and go till 9, 9.30 at night, you know, with big dinners and, you know, people sitting the entire day without uh, modeling some leadership around what health and wellness means. So, so that means for me, you know, I, I incorporate um, optional, like, like fun runs in the morning. So I'll usually plot out like a fun course and um, just put an email out there to everyone, um, you know, anyone who wants to go out for a, you know, 30 or 45 minute run, we'll meet in the lobby and we just head out and we'll, we, I just do a guided, you know, easy run, um, you know, just so it's a great way to kind of, you know, companies struggle with like, they got to hire these consultants to these fancy team builders. But I'll tell you the best team building event are these organic activities where you, um, you, you go out together and you exercise and you really form bonds with, with your employees, with your colleagues. Um, all the while you're showing and signaling your commitment to health and wellness. Um, I was with an, one employer where here in Boulder, where it was so important that in our sales meetings, we, we would finish the day a little bit early and let people choose from a, you know, TRX session, a yoga session, a strength training session. Um, so, um, 
that was great too, so that you know we're not just sitting in meetings the entire day, but we're actually putting our mouth where our money is, or our money where our mouth is, I should say, and and you know, give people an hour to um, to move. Movement's so critical. Get up and move. And um, I mean, those are I would say as a leader, those are the kinds of that's the kind of culture and the kind of environment that um, that we all can deploy at work if we if we believe that health and wellness is so important. And also that if we believe that it'll help improve the productivity of, of, of everyone at work as well. Right, right. No, it's so important, right? And I think people forget about that piece. And like you said, I love what you're saying when you go, you go somewhere and you actually have more time to go train. I know, you know, a lot of times we go, <laughs> my work, we end up in some warm place in January. I'm like, oh, you know, I, it's going to be sort of a training camp for me because that now I have an, un, an hour and a half or two hours of uninterrupted time where a lot of other people are out, you know, going to the bar or going to play golf. And it's like, no, let's go do this. And it's nice and warm and at home it's 10 below zero and I'm going to take advantage of it. So many employers think they have to fill up the agenda with, you know, every spare minute of the day has to be scheduled. Um, e even when you have off time, it's still scheduled, like you said. So like, your day ends at five and then there's a, a team dinner at seven. So you have those two hours, but many people, like you said, will just go convene at the bar and have drinks and sit again there. So they continue to sit and they're, you know, they're getting cocktails before dinner. And I think, um, I think the difference is that, yeah, why, why bring people to beautiful places, you know, like resorts in Arizona or California and Southern California or Florida only to not let them out of the resort. <laughs> or not give them the time to go on a run or maybe to get a swim in or to do a strength session or yoga session there. So I, I love the idea. Um, I think more and more employers are doing it, but I think it's really up to all of us. It's up to us as leaders to, to show everyone that this is important by also doing it ourselves. Um, the best leaders that I've seen are those that, you know, carve out the time for their employees to do it. And then you also see them show up. So there has to be in the, within the culture, within the DNA of the organization, there has to be, okay, this isn't just words or lip service, but like, look, I'm actually going to go do this too. Definitely. No. And like I said, it's you know, lead by example, right? I think that's, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of, yeah. you know, if people see you doing it, hopefully they come out and see you and, and ask questions and try to help them through the, through the whole process. But like you said, it's so, uh, it's, it's, it, I've formed some very close relationships with business colleagues this way. I've, you hear oftentimes, you know, from employees, you know, when they're traveling away from home, their kids aren't with them. So they have the time to, to train and, and to, and to do these things that they maybe won't have at home. So yeah, it's really, it's really important. So Chris, we're coming up here on over a half an hour, pretty quick. We could probably go forever, but tell us where people can find out more about what you're up to, what you're doing, if they want to reach out to you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely, Ken. I mean, uh, best ways, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Christopher Lidley, uh, at, you know, on LinkedIn, you can find me there and send me messages, message me there. You can also go over to my blog at chrisfromboulder.com. Um, it's, it's a relatively new blog that I, I'm just getting up and going um, in my quote unquote spare time. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm trying to get better at, at posting consistent content, but I'd love, you can post, uh, you can post messages for me there and reach me at info at chrisfromboulder.com. 
reach out to me. I'm, uh, you know, I'd love to hear what people would like to hear more about or have, see me write more about. And if you want to contact me uh, individually, um, you know, feel free to do so as well. I'm, you know, at uh, info at Chris from boulder.com or, or through LinkedIn. Awesome. No, this is great. And Chris, you've been amazing. Some great insight. And what I'll do is I'll definitely put the uh, links to your LinkedIn profile as well as to your um, blog. So no, and, and what you're doing, like I said, is, you know, leadership by example is probably the most important thing. So if anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, concerns, feel free to email me at kenexecutiveathletes.com. But make sure you're out there, go crush it, get outside. It's going to be winter in most places when people are listening to this. So hopefully you can enjoy it. And thanks for listening.